Good morning. Thank you for being here today. You guys have something that everybody at home does not have this morning. Do you know what that is? Sound. Everybody at home is trying, going to watch this later, we hope, and they'll have sound. We are so grateful for the tech team that keeps putting pieces and pieces behind it or try to show who's boss. As technology goes, every so often there's a glitch just to remind it or try to show who's boss. We've never lost yet. We've lost a battle, but we haven't lost the war. So uh, they'll be uh, online later on. So thank you for being here. Thank you to the worship team. Didn't they do a great job? Our first full band in a long time. Good to have them all up here. I think, I think uh, that's the first time they would have all played together. And uh, thank you for what, is doing, what you're doing that's necessary to help reduce the risk and help protect in order that we can worship together and be with each other. Physical distancing, whether inside the building or outside the building. Uh, the hand sanitizing, the flow through the building, and the masks. Uh, I don't know about you. But I'm not sure it's an accessory. As a pastor, I have had no trouble shedding the tie. And in the appropriate day, I'm sure I'll have no trouble shedding the mask either. But uh, up uh, at this point, we still use them. And so we thank you for doing that. And just want to say that we know, I know how difficult it is. And I'm learning about myself how often and how much I rely on reading somebody's lips while I'm talking to them. Anybody else? rely on reading people's lips everybody else get hot face behind their mask and can't quite hear through the muffle the way you you think and so I acknowledge how hard it is to hear I don't want to admit this but I'm getting to the age that I can be looking at you and having a conversation you're you're talking straight at me and I hear the other conversation louder in my ear than the one right in front of me I don't know why that is I don't know why the Lord allowed that to be a, a design in older people, but apparently that's a thing that can happen, and apparently that means I'm getting older. So um, we acknowledge that the struggle around some of these things are real and frustrating, so thank you for your grace. How many of you like to be alone? Some hands are going to go up. Yeah, I knew it. How many of you like to be illustration? All the time. You would never trade. Don't put your hand up for that. That'll wreck, that'll wreck the illustration. How many of you can't stand to be alone? The other direction, yeah. Don't like being alone at all. Um, we're going to talk a little bit about this whole idea of ourself or bridge off of that to individualism in a minute. But this week, our friends and neighbors to the south have been pummeled by hurricanes and, and storms in Florida and in that neck of the woods and fires throughout California and into to Oregon. And so we are going to just pause and pray for them, and then I'm going to talk a bit more about that. But uh, they're in, uh, some people are really struggling as whole communities or areas have been wiped out. And so, Jesus, we just lift up our, our friends to the south. And amidst all the COVID stuff in our world, we pray that you would help them where there's hot spots. But, Lord, particularly right now for where there's been flooding and storms and hurricanes and threats thereof, and even up the eastern coast of Canada, we pray that you would help and give uh, wisdom to the people that are calling the shots and, and trying to work in the aftermath of that. We pray for where there's fires, God. Even there's been Saskatchewan firefighters go down to California this week to help. And so we pray that you would protect them and that you would send rain, that you would bring rain and that 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 fire would just go out. And so we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. 
Uh, Nevere Beach in northern Florida this past week was affected by Hurricane Sally, and I was listening to a report by the fire chief who he and his men were at the beach um, watching and dealing with stuff, and then the water, he said, the storm and the wind, it was weird because it actually wasn't the worst part of a storm or the hurricane this time. It was actually the amount of water that came and the water surges that, that flowed in. And so there was a time that the water became too much on the beach and they retreated with a bunch of other people to the, the high school gym. And they were there for three or four hours until they were able to come back out. And uh, they, there was people still stuck in their homes and they had to, with, along with the Coast Guard and some, another agency, rescue less, at least 10 people from, from homes. Uh, the fire department was staying on high alert and staying in that area because only 30% of the area, maybe I should have, power, and as they started to bring power back on, I didn't realize this. They were, and maybe I should have, they were expecting small and even large fires just by flipping the switch on. You, you will be lying if you actually said you expected a fire when you, when you turn on your light switch. We have that kind of of safety and peace today, and so please be praying for that. But, but I would say that although I would put up my hand that I'm a guy that likes to be alone sometimes, all the time, I'm kind of an introvert. It doesn't mean I don't like people or don't love people or don't want to be around people. It just means that in order for me to love being around people, I need to be away from people sometimes. And that's how these batteries recharge. But this situation that I just gave a little picture of in Florida, that is a time that I would not want to be left alone. I don't want the power company to go on vacation. I don't want the fire department to go on vacation. I don't want even the politicians to go on vacation. I don't want my neighbors to leave me behind. I don't want to be left alone. But there's lots of times I want to be left alone. I want to be left alone when I'm picking out my favorite shirt, when I'm at the buffet, if there ever gets to be one again. When I'm driving down the freeway, I would prefer that everybody stay out of my way. I do not there are times I don't want people around. And I think the reality is, is that's my attitude that I'm in just saying but isn't too far from the truth might be sometimes how we view church. That sometimes we want the church to be there when there's storms and trouble, but when things are pretty clear sailing, I'd rather just do this on my own because I'm, I'm feeling a little less cumbersome, little less responsibility. I, I like having the space around me to just fly at my own speed. There are times when it's convenient to be alone, but I would say that most, for the most part, I want to be doing my life with people rather than without people. COVID is a unique time because as I say that, we're in this situation that we've been kind of forced to be in isolation and, and even better off, it reduces. we're more apart than we've ever been in these type of situations. And sure, it's better off, it reduces the risk of COVID and apparently other infectious diseases as well are, are, on, the, are on the lower amount this year. It's hard to be alone. People are fighting depression, People are struggling with their mental health, their emotional health, their physical health. We can joke about the COVID-15. You all know about that? It's the 15 pounds you put on since March 15th because you didn't get out and move around as much. That's probably the, the least biggest thing about COVID is whether you put on any weight or not. But how hard it is to keep it together mentally, emotionally, spiritually, I hear stories of young moms and young families and those kids that couldn't go outside in April 
very much, trying to keep it together in their head. I, have, I am a parent. I can't throw my son down the stairs because he would throw me down the stairs now. He's bigger than me. But I remember having little kids and being at your wit's end at the end of the day when it's a nice day, when, it's, when everything's going well, let alone when you're forced in and you can't even, with comfortable as we did, go find Walmart to let some frustration out as you go up and down the cart. You see, this world actually was created in such a way that nobody can make it on, on their own. The world was created for us to be in connection with people. We can't make it on our own, and we see it now. We actually need governments. As much as people want to curse them, the bio, this would be a time to re-stand on what the Bible says and pray for them. We need employers that can provide jobs. We need workers who can work jobs. We need caregivers. Last week, we talked about how challenging this world is and what we're realizing. We need prayer here over the, next, over the rest of this month. The outreach programs of Bibleville Shift and C23 get up and, and going as, as we had them running. Where we've been over the last six months and where we're headed. But this transition time, we're in a transition time based on where we've been over the last six months and where we're headed for the next six or 16 months. And so we don't really have everything and you don't have everything figured out. The world doesn't have it figured out. We don't all have it figured out as to what the new reality is going to be like, but we're definitely in transition. And so that's why we're in this three-week series called Reality Check. And last, last week I confessed that I need some reality checks. And my right reality check last week was, I am not in control. That's what's come to light during this season. And now in this season, as, as we preach today, this is the other thing I realize. I cannot do this myself. The reality check is, I cannot do this myself, and I think I'm preaching to the choir, as they say a little bit here, because you've found your way to be amongst people today. But, but it's, it's true. We could be tempted that we're just going to do this on our own. We're going to cut ties and be on our own in all sorts of ways, shapes, and circumstances. I'm not just talking about church. But we do require others. Why is it that we cannot do this on our own? Why did God make us like this? Do you even believe that? Do you partly agree that, to that? I think this is a counter-cultural statement today that we can't do it alone. I don't think it's commonplace. I don't think we preach it a lot in churches. I don't know if I hear it a ton on TV. Maybe, maybe you do, and I'm glad if you do. I think in the world out there, they celebrate community and they celebrate when times are coming together. I think there's lots of looking out for number one and I think there's hostile takeovers and I think there's lots of, lots of trouble and lots of violence and lots of horrible stuff. But I tell you right now, where that flooding is taking place and those flyers, fires are taking place, there's communities and there's stuff coming together. I don't know all the stories. You might know more than me. Saskatchewan is known for, to be some of the most generous and gracious people in the world. Tell for uh, generosity. Think about that. It's, it's set records for, for uh, generosity. People volunteering. Which other province could you hold a public telethon on a Saturday night on CTV in the 1980s to raise money to keep your prof professional football team? Saskatchewan. Some of you aren't old enough to remember that. I've remembered it so well, I've used it twice in sermons. The world knows it takes tragedy and difficulty and it brings the community together. But 
I think church, the body of Christ, might be the most difficult place to convince us as a whole that we need each other. Because I think what we actually view as church and body in some regard is actually a pit stop in an individual race. You know what race car driving is, right? Who's the, who's the champion at the end? Everybody celebrates, but it's the race car driver who gets celebrated. What happens is he goes around in circles, lots and lots, pulls into a pit stop where the real, real heroes do the work in 6.9 seconds. And then he keeps going, keeps going, keeps going, keeps going. And they, we actually think that that's our life. I'm going to pit stop in a little bit and get people to pour into me so I can keep running my race. Ugh. What if I told you that you and I, we're not the race car drivers, but we're more the pit crew? And that our life isn't meant to just keep everybody going in their own individual circles, but we're actually pit crew, meaning to, needing to work and live life together and to support each other. And that the actual thing is that we're all in that race car sometimes in certain parts of our life, and we all need pit crew. We all need support. But in our individualistic world, and it comes through the pulpit sometimes, is that we actually think this Christian life is just personal between me and God, I have some inconvenient relatives called brothers and sisters in the Lord that are not always fun to be around, at best funny or funny, and I got to stress and strain on my life. And I got to go, and I'm trying to get up to speed, and all I've got are, I'm trying to fly like the eagles, as they say, but I'm running with a bunch of turkeys. I'm the biggest turkey of them all. You see, church, if we aren't convinced that we can't do it on our own, we're going to try. If we're not convinced we can't do it on our own, we're going to try. And we're going to treat everybody else like they're either spectators or they're your, my pit crew that better show up when I need you in 6.9 seconds or under. And we can't live that way. Today we're going to look at what Paul had to say about the church in this series on Colossians and who it's made up of, and the place we are to have in each other's lives. We're going to put up the slides that we did last week on grace and hope, uh, some, some words that I, I want to make sure we plug in here, but don't know if I'll get to later on. Grace is our, our uh, word that we use for our core values, to help us remember our core values. And so our, uh, we'll go there first, to our discipleship pathway, which is hope. And um, there's grace. We'll go back to grace. <laughs> Love it. Awesome. That team back there is awesome. And I think some days they, they will get a reward in heaven just by helping keep me humble. So these are our core values. God-centered. We want to have God at the center of everything. God the Father, Son, the Holy Spirit. We want to be relational. We want to be engaging with each other and have relationship. We want to be authentic and real and vulnerable and live real life. We want to be celebratory. That's why we all clap for two-year-old Maya, who's absolutely done nothing ever in this church, got a bigger round of applause than the musicians today. Why is that? Because we celebrate life with each other. We want to be evangelistic and share Jesus with everybody, and we want to be into discipleship where we're growing together individually and as a body of belief. core of our dis- follow Christ. And so those things help inform who we are as a church. They are at the core of our decisions and what we do moving forward. 
Our mission statement is bringing hope to life, and that word hope there we use as a, what we call a discipleship pathway. How do we know that we're going to move in discipleship? Well, these four areas, we want to be touching them all at the same time, definitely emphasize different ones at different seasons. We believe that if we are touching these areas as a church, we have no, um, no other option but to have the food presented, the environment presented that we can grow and flourish in. So the first one is H, heaven to earth, that we want to focus on divine relationship. And that's why through these three series, we're talking about heaven to earth and divine relationship on each of these three messages a little bit. Last week, we talked about opportunity to grow. We talked about personal discipleship. We talked about that control and fear thing. Today is people to community a focus on interrelationships, the reality that we cannot live or make it through on our own, that the body of Christ is a bunch of interrelationships that God has connected for his glory, and he's not only watching over us, he actually is in us and moving through us. And then engage, engage in the kingdom, and we'll hit in that a bit next week, a focus on intentional stewardship. But when you start to talk about church, I think, because I've been in enough sermons that talk about church, you kind of get settled you get stiff in your seat and you just say if i can just endure the pastor guilting me into signing up for a ministry i'm going to make it through this church message okay and that we think about church as everything that we're supposed to be doing and that we're in the fall so we're going to talk about what we're going to be doing bibleville needs drivers c23 needs cooks the tech team wants some time off eventually and we need more tech team members all that kind of stuff well today I'll have you know that we're not giving the tech team any relief. Well, hopefully it's coming soon. But today, I said the reality check was, I can't do this on my own. And I'm going to refer to it in a bit, the better statement, but are, I can't be this on my own. Because today we're actually talking about who we are as a church. Not everything we can do. Not everything we can do to light a light and be outside there. We're talking about who we are being because our doing as a church can only flow out of our being of who we are. Guess how a horse runs? Like a goat or a horse? A horse. If you got a horse that runs like a goat, you got a problem. But <laughs> we can only do out of who we are, and so we want to make sure who we are is who we are actually being. And we've got to do that by reflecting on who Jesus is and who he's calling us to. And so, <clears throat> the church in Colossae, just a quick review where Paul is writing this letter to the new Christians in Colossae, a new young church. Their earliest Christian, Epaphras, has come to where Paul is in prison. He's addressed some issues such as there's such a harsh paganistic world that there, there's, there could be caught up in believing in all the gods or add, needing to add way more type of mysterious God-angel type stuff to their belief. Warn them about that. He also goes on in Colossians chapter 2, verse 6, 16, because there's talk about uh, the Jewish laws that were in place. And, and he's, Epaphras says they're going to get themselves in, in trouble. They're going to think it's still about that and not Jesus alone. So Paul writes in Colossians 2, don't let anyone condemn you for what you eat or drink or for not celebrating certain holy days or new moon ceremonies or Sabbaths. For these rules are only shadows of the reality yet to come and Christ himself is that reality. <clears throat> Pardon me. 
all that stuff is, is showing of Christ and a shadow of Christ, but keeping days and doing certain things with food isn't salvation. They were all in process and celebrated in festivals to give our thick heads a little glimpse of how Jesus was going to be operating and who to be watching for when the Messiah came. So it's a new small church. Some would say that the church at Colossae would be less in number than this was being read to the church that day could be less people than what's in this church. And Paul is writing to support and to cheer on, to be their biggest fan, and to say how thankful he is to hear how faithful they have been. And that he worked strenuously to contend for the faith for their behalf. So folks, Lee and I want to say we love you. And whatever camera I'm supposed to be looking in at home, we love you. We're so grateful to serve and walk alongside and be a part of the body with you. And we're sorry for the pain and the struggle this COVID time has been. And some of you have lost loved ones and others of you have lost uh, important pieces of your life that feels like grief and loss. And we're sorry that you have had to go through that. But we love you. And we're thankful for you. And we pray for you and ask God and the staff and the team pray for you. We're grateful to be able to do this together that we don't have to do it alone. So there are some pretty big issues in the church of Colossae and there's some pretty big issues in our world and the world that our church has to to live in. I love my family. My two favorite ladies are in the front row, Leah and Brooklyn. And uh, Bruce had his two favorite ladies up beside him today in Maya and Rachel. Brooklyn is a lovely young lady. She is strong and teachable, has a servant heart, and under God's hand, we continue to see her grow. As a child, she was strong and sometimes teachable. (laughs) I'm grateful my kids let me share a story because it's our family, some of the best material I can bring. But she was strong-willed as a young girl, and I'm grateful for that because not many people can push her around today. But maybe you had the same kind of words spoken out of your toddlers in your house. And it was one of the first full phrases I remember Brooklyn ever saying. And she said it over and over and over and over again. I do it myself. I do it myself. And while it's fine for a toddler who's going to be parented and brought and learned to be teachable and and compassionate and and, uh, gentle. It's kind of a picture of how a lot of us live in our society and even in the church. I do it myself. I'll live it myself. I want it myself. We're too individualistic in our North American culture. There's places all over the world that think we're the ones that have it backwards because they don't live so individualistic. They live much more family-based. We live in a world where looking out for number one is such a, a priority. And I think in sometimes the church, when we pull it together, we've got it going on good. But sometimes I think the church gets caught looking out for number one. And I don't mean God, but a bunch of individuals. The church has done a disservice at times. When we just talk about somehow we can preach to a room, but we have everybody as individuals in the room. And we're preaching for your own success and your own health and your own family. And we miss talking about it in the context of 
your family's my family, our family. How are we going to do this together? You're, you're suffering in your job. That means I'm suffering. How can my job, my wisdom help you? When we're just a room full of individuals or individual families, we're missing half of what Jesus came to do at the very least. He did not come to save us to be lone islands and we're supposed to be lighthouses for Jesus, but not lighthouses individually on our own. We're part of family. We can have too many in in Christendom, too many formulas to get your max potential, max blessing, max victory, max heaven on earth. It's It's got to be more than just the individual person or just their own family. The church is the body of Christ. You see, when we make a decision to follow Jesus, we're actually making a decision to enter his family. Jessica, not a silo. And that's a challenge. Jessica Burke quotes and writes that we must understand the world in which Jesus lived as well as the context in which his disciples established the early church. In the ancient world, the group took priority over the individual. The group took priority over the individual. Family, specifically patrilineal relationships, or that's relationships that are based on the father or male line of descent, they demanded the highest commitment of undivided loyalty relational solidarity, and personal sacrifice of any social entity in Jesus' strong group Mediterranean world. Major life decisions were made in the context of family. So I'm not here today believing that I can quote somebody and we're all going to be able to naturally switch decades of patterns of how we live in our society. But I want to give you just a little taste that the context of which we read the Bible and how individualistic our world is was not the context that the Bible was written in. And so when we think about what the Bible was written in, the Bible was written in a context where it was all about family. That when you were told that you were, leave, that you were joining the family of Christ, that was a huge decision because you were leaving your earthly biological family to align yourself with a new heavenly family. Yes, you were supposed to still care and love and honor, but priority shifted and changed. This lady goes on to say that while this might make the independent American person bristle, that our freedoms, as intoxicating and exhilarating as they often are, have pushed us over the edge emotionally. We are reaping the consequences of decisions that were never meant to be made and lives that were never meant to be lived, making decisions and living lives in isolation from community. Our independence affects our own health, but it also affects our church's health as well to be very individualistic have it with God's design for the church is that we can actually take it turn it to be very individualistic have it serve us have a bunch of God busyness and try to live for God but if we take in our brothers and sisters for granted we've got a twisted view I cannot do this on my own I cannot be this on my own The invitation is not just to personal salvation while it starts with that, that we have to make our own decision to follow Christ. Once you make that decision, it's not just you and him alone. Although I think there's probably some hymns that talk about that. It is and it's plus everybody else in the kingdom. One organization claims that there are 30,000 different Christian denominations in the world. 
30,000 denominations. Some denominations have thousands and thousands of churches. 30,000 denominations. Do you know what that means? It means that there are 30,000 differing points of division in the Christian church. So today I'm not talking about be a better part of the Rock Church, Dallas. Be a better leader of the Rock Church. I'm talking about who we are as the church. And the church is everyone who has faith in Christ and faith in Him alone for salvation to be. The blind eye to our brothers and sisters in the Lord. That we are called to live this life together. And that's part of what we hope COVID is changing for a new normal, is that my desire is to kick Sunday morning worship service in the head, not kill it, but make it behave in our own thinking. What are you saying, Dallas? I'm saying Sunday morning gatherings cannot be defined as the church. And we've talked about this in different ways, shapes, or forms all over the years. That church is not Sunday morning gatherings. They're an important part of the church just like eating lunch is an important part of our human body, having sleep is an important part of our human body, is an important functions of a church of which corporate gatherings for worship and celebration together is an important function. But you don't have a life just because you eat lunch or just because you sleep. There's all other parts to your human life that make up your life. There's all sorts of other pieces to, to the church and to the body of Christ that make up the body life. We have to take that as a directive that we cannot live on our own. And so we're moving from just attending a service and serving in some areas to what does it really mean to engage the body? What does it mean to really care and love and have each other on our mind? Because the Bible says in John chapter 13, Jesus says, they will know me by your love for each other. If we don't become experts in loving each other, it's pretty hard to make a major impact outside these walls outside the walls of your home somebody's going to be able to yell this out at me but yell it through the mask how many hours does it take to become an expert in anything 10,000 10, common knowledge what would it, what if we became a church that was expert in loving i think we have a bunch of hours under our belt but i also think we've got just enough hours under our belt to know we don't got it all together <laughs> And that there's still a lot to learn and a lot to understand in what that means. Colossians, where are we going here? Colossians chapter 3 is where I'm going to jump to. Colossians 3 verses 12 to 17. So let's talk about this church that Christ is the head of. Since God chose you to be the holy people he loves, you must clothe yourselves with tender-hearted mercy kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. Above all, clothe yourselves with love, which binds us together in perfect rule in your hearts. And let the peace that comes from Christ rule in your hearts. For as members of one body, you are called to live in peace. And always be thankful. Let the message about Christ in all its richness fill your lives. Teach and counsel each other with all the wisdom he gives. 
Sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to God with thankful hearts. And whatever you do or say, do it as a representative of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. That's a pretty awesome description of who we are to be. Love, mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience. Clothe yourselves with love which binds us all together. Do you know what the previous verses said? I didn't have them up for the screen, but it says, have nothing to do with sexual immorality, impurity, lust, or evil desires. It goes all the way from sexual immorality, which Christians are known to really be upset about, all the way to greediness at the, at the beginning of verse, in verse 5. Don't be greedy. In verse 8, it says, do no, now, now is the time to get rid of anger, rage, malicious behavior, slander, and dirty language. Don't lie to each other. So why did I read that passage of Scripture? Trying to paint a picture of the church, both the quote-unquote bad stuff that we're not supposed to be doing and the stuff we're supposed to become? Because God has made us for relationship. I can't do this on my own because I'm actually designed to only become all I'm supposed to be, not by looking out for number one and putting you at a lower advantage than me to become who I'm supposed to become. I actually need you to help me become who God designed me to be. And you actually need me in your life to help you become all that God designed you to be. You are not all sufficient in your own. The body operates if you have big biceps, big biceps, you, did I just put those up? I did. I don't qualify. If you have big biceps, it's not because you only have biceps working at the gym. Your whole upper back, your pectoral muscles, they all have to work to help build up that one muscle. We are made for relationship. We can't do it on our own. You see, some people read the Bible and those passages that I just said, don't be greedy, don't lie, don't be angry. And they say, see, Christianity is just a bunch of do's or don'ts. And if you really want to be Christian, you can't only not do that. You have to be gentle and loving and kind. And it's so drippy with gross, ooey gooeyness. And they've actually taken following Jesus and turned it into a manual or a program that's all about sin behavior modification. Let's just fix the bad stuff and turn it into good stuff and then you'll be a good person and you'll have a good life. Because if we can get rid of less anger, have more love, you'll have less stress and you'll be happier and your bank account will fill. No. That's not why that scripture is there. The scripture is not there. It's, it's, kind, of meant, it's kind of there as a flag. But it's not there as a checklist of Get rid of all those ones and get all these ones and then you can get your behavior modification certificate. It's actually there to indicate what type of relationship you're created to, to have. That's the glory is that you actually get to have the kind of relationship that Paul is laying out there both to give and to receive when we are following Christ. And that's the kind of relationship we can have with God because we're just being the mere image and giving, doing the little modeling of what God is already pouring out to us. Tender kindness, humility, love, sacrificing ourselves for one another. It's not about a do's and don'ts to try to get it right. It's more like the prize is you actually get treated with respect. The prize is you actually get love in a lot of, it's not that we're all within 
get the respect or the love in all the, the stuff out there. But that's why within here, in the body of Christ, that's what we are working towards and maturing and perfecting towards so that we can have that experience here. That those are the type of relationships this church and all churches are known for. So here's another reality check. It's not all roses and ice cream. And I really like ice cream. We have to look at ourselves as individuals and as a church. You see, COVID has shook us. It shook our direction. It shook me. It shook you. You see, it's shaken me because it takes my desire to be responsible and help people and take me over the edge. Because with my personality and as a leader of the church, I'm always trying to figure out what's the greater good. What's supposed to be happening for everybody? And because I'm the leader and I grew up the oldest and everybody called me a leader, I have this obnoxious sense of responsibility that my staff would say drives them crazy sometimes. And maybe you would agree. Always trying to be responsible, always thinking about worst case scenario in order to make sure everybody's taken care of. Well, guess what happens to that kind of mentality in a world where there's a pandemic running around? You don't really sleep easier naturally. It actually causes a little more stress and, and it's kind of like breathing for me to think of worst case scenario in order to make sure that everybody's okay because I take that as my responsibility. And that, if I don't deal with it with the Lord and just do what he asks me to do, not abolish or ignore my responsibility but step into what he's actually asking me to do, if I don't do it under his auspices, then the fear and the control can kick off that I talked about last week and I got to grab and cling and all that kind of stuff. And so we're made for relationship, not just, to, not just to hold each other at their best and celebrate, not just practice forgiveness, but to hold each other in the most difficult places in life where you're shook to your core. And I tried to give you a 30-second piece of how I've kind of been shook. You don't always offer. That has not allowed me to operate at my best all the time. When you're shook, you don't always operate at your best. And you get obnoxious sometimes, you get gossipy sometimes, you get rude sometimes. And you need people around you who can hold you and say, I need to pray for them. Or they walk away and pray at home for them. Or they come around and they give you a six foot away virtual hug in this day and age. That you feel supported and loved, not condemned and set to the side. You see, grieving our losses, dealing with our pain, dealing with being shook needs the support of community. One other thing I'll throw out there is in verse 16, it said, teach and counsel each other. We also need each other from the wisdom. There's a collective amount of wisdom in here. We've got people that have lived hard lives. We've had more people hanging around the building this year, and we've learned more from them than any summer before. From whatever your experience has been, some of you are from overseas, some of you have businesses, some of you work for businessmen, some of you are in school while COVID is on. All these things help inform our body to be wiser and to love better and to help each other more. You see, I can't be myself on my own. I can't be a healing person without you because Jesus chooses to use you in my life. Jesus chooses to use me and my family in your life. So in this season, in this reality check, if you've had your independence or individuality shaken, you've had your confidence shaken, you've had your trust shaken, you've had to change your lifestyle, 
bring it to Jesus and recognize that he might be just shaking enough to let you know that you can't do it on your own. That, that these type of shaky things allow us to become mature disciples when we allow each other to speak into our life. One of the ways we do that around here is through life groups. Life groups share life together. And we're going into a season of those again. And life groups can in, uh, sometimes just be talked about in a formulaic kind of way that it's a, a Bible study pray, it's, it's this, it's that, and then you go and then you come back in a week. And, and there's lots of truth to that and there's, some, there's good stuff in that. But what we want you to know is that as we approach life groups again, and this has been years under construction to be able to articulate and convey, and there'll be more conveying of the, the dream of, of what all life groups has to hold for us, it's really an excuse to do some life together. It's really an excuse that when you have people in a building like this, you can't all be connecting all the time, but it's to have, have times and places where people can connect in order to share prayer requests, celebrations, pray for each other, uh, talk a bit about the message from Sunday, discuss in an hour to an hour and a half to be able to, <laughs> for some people, that that um, you're sharing life together. Because just to attend a room together, does it, I don't get enough of you. I need, I need some, pe- some pieces of time for me to see and to hear what you're going through, for, for you to hear what I'm going through, so that we can learn and share life together. So what's the problem? Yeah, it sure sounds good. I don't know what, I know what some of my problems are, I'm not going to confess them all today in regards to life and engaging more in church. But I think these are some that may affect our world, our church, our individuality. First is we could just be scared of commitment. If I engage more with people's life, I'm just not sure how much I'm willing to commit or how much time I have. There could be an abuse issue. I'm not really willing to get involved in the church because I've been, I was spiritually abused at another church. I was treated poorly at another church. Or another time in my life, I don't mean another church apart from the rock church, I just mean another place in time. Maybe it's an issue okay, to sit beside. I just don't like all those weird people in church. I'm okay to sit beside them, but I don't want to live with them. I can say that because I'm the weirdest guy in the room. I saw those eyebrows raise under that mask. But you see... We could have issues with all that stuff and none of it excuses our discipleship to the fact that we have been called not just a personal relationship with Christ, but family relationship in the new family of Jesus. And so if you have issues like I have issues in some of those areas, our job is not to excuse each other and let us tiptoe around each other and get by holding on to our weaknesses and our brokenness but rather the Rock Church in particular is wanting to be a safe place so that we can hold the mess of what we're experiencing when these things are going on so that we can have a safe place to be healed. So we don't have excuses to hold on to our weakness and brokenness, but we have a safe place in order to be healed and grow and move together. It's a safe place to be messy. I can't do this on my own. I can't be this on my own. And neither can you. So I pray as I'm going to show, we're going to play a little video. Joanna from church got baptized this week. 
And that's one of the things that we do as churches celebrate. Yeah, you, you're going to clap again, I know. But. And then the worship team is coming up to lead us in a closing song, and then I'll come up and close in prayer. But uh, this is what happened. You're going to hear a bit of her story, and you're going to hear the discipleship along the journey, and you're going to hear that there's people involved in her life. We get to journey alongside people in the midst of their stuff to see us all mature in following Jesus and enjoy that relationship with him and each other more. I finally recognized when I was 26. Growing up Roman Catholic, religion surrounded me from birth. Uh, I was baptized as a baby, had my first communion at 7, and my confirmation at 14. I whispered the Our Father every night in the darkness of my room. I only wanted to believe, but there's what was out there or to whom I was praying. I think I genuinely wanted to believe, but their church didn't seem like a welcoming place, and the Jesus they taught me about came off cold and only wanted rule perfect, rule-abiding children. So I took refuge and identity in what I thought was cool and what other girls around me were doing and finding themselves in. I look back now and I see the ways in which Jesus pursued me. I've re-listened to songs I used to sing, kicking myself for not realizing the very obvious meaning behind the words or simply choosing to ignore them. I've read old notebooks with quotes and verses on the importance of faith and prayer. I remember moments of feeling lost and torn that life could really be so shallow. I recognize that now as the gentle call home, that restlessness that comes from not being of this world. So since becoming a follower of Jesus, I've had a difficult time working through the sin and shame of those 26 years without his guidance. But today I stand before you knowing that I am indeed a new creation, righteous in his eyes and white as snow. I had been dating my now husband at the time, Taylor. As a strong Christian, he was clear from the start that he liked me, but we didn't have much of a future if our core values differed so strongly. And so my active and sometimes painful search for Jesus began. After six months of going to church, listening to sermons and reading my Bible to appease the man I wanted to marry, I'll never forget the moment that really changed my heart. I walked alone into a church that I had never been to and the words welcome home spread out before me on a giant screen. It finally hit me like a ton of bricks. Jesus had been waiting for me this whole time, seeking after my heart, preparing me for this moment when I would finally come back home, come back to him. I was the lost sheep, the prodigal son, and he saved me. I have been healed from pain. My kids club family, most of whom are here today, laid hands on my knee that would and prayed out to Jesus for my healing. Immediately, my pain disappeared. I prayed in a house that used to be a very active and prominent brothel. It's now a place where women pray and serve the Lord. I have heard him speak to me in many ways, sometimes laughing out loud in sheer amazement that the God of the universe cares to communicate with me, to take away my fears, and to encourage me. I have read about and heard about firsthand encounters of Jesus' saving grace, more of them than I could ever remember. Many of us in this room have firsthand experience of the impossible power and goodness of God. But following Jesus is not always easy, nor is it supposed to be. In the few years I have begun to devote my life to him, I have been shunned and ridiculed by those closest to me. I have lost friends and almost family members. But he calls us to pick up our cross and to follow him. Some days I don't want to. Most days I find it difficult to share Jesus with strangers 
or even friends who don't know him, fearing rejection. But then I remember the story about the merchant who found a pearl of great value. He went away and sold everything he had and bought it. That's the kind of sold out to Jesus I want to be. Jesus, we just, yeah. Uh, many of my good, my best moments have come in this church. Um, being married to Joe, awesome. Um, seeing Joe baptized, also awesome. And so just thank you so much for, for the good things that you give us, that you give all of us. Um, yeah, we just say thank you and uh, thank you. It's awesome. And we just praise your name. Amen. So, Joanna, on the profession of faith that we heard tonight, I baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Unto death.